name's Caleb, all right, and uh, Caleb Kehiwat, and you'll get to know a little bit more about Caleb, because uh, in the morning service before I preach, I'm going to ask him to share a testimony of salvation and his call to the ministry. Caleb was appointed uh, to be one of our missionaries with Baptist World Mission last year, and uh, he's just getting started, getting on the road and things like that, and this will be an opportunity for him to gain some experience along that path. I really want you to come back tonight. I'm going to promote him real well. And uh, we're going to do a one-on-one -on -one session where I do a Q&A with him uh, regarding missions tonight. And I'm looking forward to that. We're just going to sit up here, maybe in those two chairs, and kind of relax before I preach. And I'm going to go through these questions. And uh, please come back. And uh, let's, let's uh, learn a lot of what God is doing in Caleb's life and what the Lord has laid on his part. But I'm so glad to have each and every one of you here in the Sunday School Hour. I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew 6 because I want to address the subject of forgiveness as found here in Matthew 6, 12 of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I want to have you turn there to Matthew 6 and I want us to read together verses 6 or verse 9 through 12 of Matthew 6. You follow along in your Bible as I begin reading there the Lord's Prayer, starting with our Father in verse 9, and I'm going to just read through verse 12. If you're there, you follow along as I read for us this morning. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 9. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Hopefully that gave you a little opportunity to see the context of what I want to address in this morning's lesson. As we begin this study of Matthew 6, 12, we quickly discover two prayers in one verse. Contemporary author by the name of Arkan Hughes describes the first phrase of Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts, as an explicit prayer for forgiveness. The second phrase verse 12, as we forgive our debtors, he describes as an implicit prayer for a forgiving spirit. And I believe that best sums up what we're looking at here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. Interestingly enough, Matthew 6, 12 is a verse that has been a source for no small measure of controversy. And in this lesson, I want to expose that controversy without creating too much confusion. Let me turn to a church father by the name of Augustine, great theologian. He referred to this verse, Matthew 6, 12, as the terrible petition. Let me quote Augustine for us. He said, if we pray, Father, forgive us our debt, as 
We also have forgiven our debtors, but we do so while carrying an unforgiving spirit. Then we're literally asking God not to forgive us. A lot to think about there. You know, honestly, I think there is a danger for Christians in taking this matter of having a forgiving spirit far too lightly. Listen to this old Puritan, Thomas Watson. He said this, A man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, said this, Unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you recite the Lord's Prayer. I think men like Thomas Watson, Charles Spurgeon, took Matthew 6.12 very seriously. You may think that these statements from Watson, Spurgeon, border on the extreme. Follow along with me. Jesus did not want us to miss the significance of this matter of forgiveness. We should note that of all the phrases in the Lord's Prayer, this one phrase, Jesus saw fit to explain in much greater detail. He restated it categorically for us in verses 14 and 15, where the Bible says, for if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Essentially, Jesus is saying in verses 14 and 15, look, if you refuse to forgive, your Father will discipline you severely for this sin of unforgiveness. Now let's face it. No matter how you cut this, the sin of unforgiveness is a big deal. And therefore, the question must be asked, will God hold man to such a strict standard? And Jesus provided a window into the consequences of unforgiveness by rejecting this standard with a parable. You know what parable it was? It was a parable of the unmerciful servant found in Matthew 18. So let's turn ahead and take a quick review of that parable. Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, let me just remind you, we find the man who was forgiven 10,000 talents by his Lord. You know the story. Only later, that same man refused to forgive his own slave for a hundred pence. We see the consequences of that unforgiving spirit meted out in verses 32 to 35. Let me read Matthew 18, verses 32 to 35. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, referring to the 10,000 talents. Because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Verse 34. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors 
till he should pay all that was due unto him. Verse 35. So likewise shall your heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Now I think we need to be careful not to spiritualize verse 34 by concluding that God is going to send unbelievers to hell. Or excuse me, unforgiving believers to hell. We don't want to go there. Now before we get into the ins and the outs of the application of Matthew 6.12, I want us just to focus on the most important part of Matthew 6.12, which is simply that word, <coughs> forgiveness. So let's do a little bit of a word study, okay? Because forgiveness is the central focus of Matthew 6.12, and uh, I want to turn my favorite when it comes to word study, the, uh, the late Spiro Zodiades. I often quote Zodiades when I'm studying the Greek language, but uh, from his complete word study of the New Testament, he translates, forgive us, the English, forgive us, from the Greek, which is amen. So you see, this is pretty significant word in our New Testament. But Zodiati says to forgive contains the idea of to send away, to dismiss. Now when I began to study and I read that, I immediately thought of Aaron, the Old Testament priest. Because this guy figuratively placed the sins of Israel on the head of the goat and sent it away into the wilderness <coughs> as the scapegoat. Let me turn back there with you. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16 because this symbolized the removal of the sins of the people of Israel into an uninhabited land. Leviticus chapter 16. Let me read for you verses 21 and 22 and you'll see this thing unfold. Leviticus 16 verse 21. And Aaron, of course, the, the priest. Leviticus 16, verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities or sin of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send, notice these words, shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat into the wilderness. Now, in the present context of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, Jesus is referring to an ethical or a moral debt that is due to some offense by another person <coughs> against us. Look at the verse again, Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our what? In this case, Matthew's context is the word debt. Now, when you think of a debt, you think of something someone owes another person. And that's the meaning of the Greek word 
for debt. That Greek word is aphelema. In this case, it's referring to sin. Aphelema, that Greek word, is one of five Greek words in our New Testament used for sin. You're probably familiar most with the Greek word hamartia, which is where we get our study of theology, hamartiology, the study of sin. But in this case, the word for debt, referring to sin, is apolema. Zodiades writes about this word debt. The expression to forgive sins means to remove the sins from another. You're taking the sin away from one source and putting it away. Who's the only person who can do that? Who's the only person who can take Brother Umstead's sin and remove it away from Brother Umstead? Only God. You're right, Brother Sam. Only God is said to be able to do this. Think of Mark 2.10. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Zodiades goes on to write, To forgive sins is not to disregard them and do nothing about them, but to liberate a person from them, their guilt, and their power. Now listen carefully. We're never expected to forgive the sins of others because we have no power to do so ourselves. But we are expected to forgive others. Do you get the distinction there? That's the essence of Matthew 6.12. In Matthew 6.12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, in this case we're forgiving a person as opposed to forgiving sin. That's a critical distinction. Forgiveness conveys the idea of causing a separation. And in the secular Greek language, it's conveyed as the idea of to throw. In fact, one secular writer conveyed forgiveness this way. Let the pot rot. Imagine I'm holding a clay pot in my hand. Forgiveness could be conveyed in the idea of I take whatever offense has come to me and I let it smash on the ground. I let go of it. As you study forgiveness, you discover there's no other religious book in all the world except the Bible where God completely forgives sin. Psalm 51 and verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, David cried out, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. In verse 9 of Psalm 51, David said, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Hebrews 10, 17, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So God's forgiveness of us demands that we forgive others because grace brings responsibility and an obligation. Luke 6.37, the Bible says, Judge not, that you be not judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be 
given. This is a New Testament principle. Now let me share some bombshell theology. Alright? Matthew 6.12, by the way, this concept of bombshell theology is original with me. You can Google it until your eyes pop out. You're not going to find it. Let me describe what I'm talking about with you. Arkan Hughes points out, and I quote him again, if we will not forgive, we are not Christians. Let that rock your boat. If we will not forgive, we're not Christians. I'm not saying you should agree with that. But what I'm saying is think about it. We all know, according to Ephesians 2.8, that we're saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. The once saved, always saved. Can you remember how stunned you felt the evening you watched the news and witnessed the family members of those who were slain by Dylan Roof at the AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, as they began on the news to express their forgiveness for the murderer of their loved one? Did that stun you as a stun me? We reveal whether or not we've been forgiven by whether or not we turn into forgiveness. Consequently, if I refuse to forgive, there can only be one reason. My life has not yet been touched by the redeeming grace of God, and I myself some confusion with regard to forgiveness because you may be at the point right now in this lesson where you're feeling kind of confused. What are you saying, Brother Pat? So we come to Matthew 6.12 and this verse has cre created no small stir controversy over the years of Christian history. And maybe, in fact, you're sitting there right now and you're thinking about someone you're struggling to forgive because of the behavior they projected toward you. Imagine any one of these. You're falsely accused of a crime you never committed. You were fired from a job you faithfully executed. You were disinherited from a will of a loved one. You were abused as a child by a family member you trusted. You were cheated by a colleague who you co-labored with faithfully. You were mocked and ridiculed by authorities you respected. Yet in your heart, you know you're saved. And still, you find times when you struggle with letting the pot drop. The question arises in your own mind. Oh, man. Was I never truly saved? Or did I lose the salvation I thought I had? My friend, Stop right there. Because you're asking the wrong questions when those questions go through your mind. There is a much bigger question that needs to be addressed. And that is, is all forgiveness the same? And the answer to that question is no. So the target of this prayer, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Look at that first phrase in Matthew 6, 12 again, and let me ask you a question. The phrase is, and forgive us our debts. Now remember, who is this prayer directed toward? Yes, verse 9, our Father. Was this request intended to be once and for all, or was it intended to be a continual request made on a regular basis? It's to be continual, daily, moment by moment. Okay? Can you think of any other verse in the New Testament where there's a continual request dealing with our sin and forgiveness? Let me ask you to think about 1 John 1 9. You know it? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we need to draw a distinction right now between two types of forgiveness. Believers are delivered from the penalty of sin at the moment of salvation. And in theology, we call that justification. Now, how do you define justification? Well, it means declared righteous. When God saved Brother Caleb, and I'm assuming you're saved, but when God saved Brother Caleb, he declared Caleb righteous. Some people define justification as just as though I never sinned. I don't like to use that because the fact is, I have sinned. All right? But from God's perspective, He declares me righteous. And that's what God is. God is righteous. So, either way, at the moment of salvation, the believer's justification before God is an accomplished fact. Let me go through these verses quickly. Romans 8 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 and verse 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, he rather than risen again. Finally, Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Now we like to tell people when we share the gospel with them, when Christ died and shed his blood on the cross, the payment for your sin, past, present, and future, has been paid. All right? When Jesus died on the cross, the blood that was used to pay for your sin paid for all of your past, present, and future sin. And of course, all of our sin was future at that point because we weren't here, were we, when Jesus died on the cross. Romans 4, 7 and 8 says, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So God, as our judge, completely deals with all of our sin at the moment of our salvation. However, it would be wrong to conclude that you no longer need to be concerned about how, when, why, or what sins you commit going forward after your salvation. 
So don't do that. Let me jump to another, jump ahead a bit to another slide, slide number 17 there for the map. If justification settles the matter of all of my past, present, and future sins, why do I still need to pray for forgiveness? Well, Jesus addressed this matter in John's account of the Last Supper, there in John 13. Why don't you go ahead and jump to John 13 with me, and I'll remind you of some things there. Jesus was talking about when he addressed this matter by going through the foot washing ceremony. We find in John 13 uh, two contrasting perspectives in this occasion <coughs> between Peter and our Lord. Let me read verses 8 and 9 of John 13. And Peter saith unto him, Peter speaking to Jesus, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now in verse 10, Jesus drew a distinction between two types of cleansing. So let me read that. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not, to, needeth not save to wash his feet, but it is but is clean every whit, and we are clean, but not all. So, we know what Jesus was teaching in the foot washing ceremony. And there is a bath that's referred to where Jesus equates that bath with salvation, and we're thoroughly washed. But Jesus is saying, look, you're going to commit sins on a daily basis, and that's why I'm washing feet now. I want you to see you need a daily cleansing. Not a total bath, but a daily cleansing from the fact that you and my fellowship is broken by sin, and that fellowship needs to be restored, and there needs to be confession, forgiveness, restoration to things. Now, remember I referred to 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just for forgiveness of sins. If you go back to 1 John chapter 1, I want you to see the verb tenses used in 1 John demonstrate this truth. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 literally reads like this. The blood of Jesus, his son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. And likewise, the verse, uh, verb tense in verse 9 that I read earlier also reveals continuous action. We could read it this way. If we are continually confessing our sins. But neither the confession nor the cleansing in 1 John 1 is a one-time finished event. It's something that needs to be done on a continual basis. So that brings me back right now to the original question. Why must we seek God's forgiveness? If we've already been granted forgiveness in justification. And the answer is, divine forgiveness has two parts. One is judicial forgiveness that God grants as our judge, dealing with all of our past, present, and future sin, declared righteous, justification. And the other is parental forgiveness, which is what I'm talking about in 1 John 1.9. 1, 
that God grants to us as a father where our fellowship is restored. So, this following information I want to share with you, distinguishing judicial from parental forgiveness, is offered by Dr. John MacArthur. And I want to be doing that right now. Judicial forgiveness frees us from the condemnation of an aggrieved, omnipotent judge. Whereas parental forgiveness sets things right with a grieving and displeased loving Heavenly Father. Judicial forgiveness gives us an unshakable standing before the throne of divine judgment. Parental forgiveness deals with the state of our sanctification at any given moment and is dispensed from the throne of divine grace. As judge, God is eager to forgive sinners, but as Father, He's equally eager to forgive, keep on forgiving and cleansing his children from the defilement of sin. So now we come to a critical word right in the middle of Matthew 6, 12. Two letters to it. It's the word as. Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. And that word as indicates the obligation that you and I have as believers to forgive in light of the abundant forgiveness that we receive at salvation. I'm, I was born in the late 50s, the end of 1957. Consequently, my childhood was spent in the 60s. And I'm familiar with that old Coca-Cola jingle, things go better with Coke. Remember that? I want to amend that a bit. Replacing the word Coke with forgiveness. Everything goes better If you take nothing out of this lesson, take that. Someone once said, I found a little remedy to ease the life we live. To make each day a happier one, it is the word forgive. In addressing the second phrase, Matthew 6, 12, as we forgive our debtors, John MacArthur makes it good, a comparison with Matthew 5, 7, from the Beatitudes. Remember Matthew 5, 7? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And he writes this, if we want to enjoy the benefits of God's forgiveness toward others, we must be willing to forgive other believers, even those who sin against us. An attitude that refuses to forgive fellow believers will rob a Christian of his joy, peace, fellowship, and usefulness in the church. Now, if I were going to put this in the secular vernacular, I would ask you to think about the phrase, what goes around comes around. Spiritually speaking, there are negative consequences to an unforgiving spirit. And one pastor by the name of Ray Pritchard enumerated these consequences. Let me quickly go through them. I know my time is gone. When I'm unforgiving, our fellowship with the Father is blocked or disrupted. The Holy Spirit is grieved. Our prayers will be hindered and will not be answered. Think of 1 Peter 3, 7, gentlemen. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. God leaves us alone to face the problems of life in our own power. Hebrews 12, 7, if ye endure chastening, 
God dealeth with you as sons, and what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Five, the devil potentially gains a foothold through our unwillingness to forgive. Six, we lose the blessing of God upon our lives. And seven, we waste time and emotional energy nursing a wounded spirit. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, springing up trouble you, and thereby many are defiled. Let me just close with an application of three points. You're never closer to the grace of God than when you confess sin to him. King David cried out in Psalm 51, 1, have mercy upon me, he was grabbing the throne and so are you when you're asking for forgiveness number two you're never more like the Lord than when you forgive those who've sinned against you I think of John 13 35 by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another number three you'll never fully enter into the Freedom in Christ, God intended, until you learn the freedom of forgiveness. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I believe that abundant life is conveyed through the ability to forgive the hurts against you. I truly believe the power to forgive said my grace is sufficient. Please pour out the grace of us.